You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Fritz Gilbert from the Retirement Manifesto, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Hi, this is Liz from Chief Mom Officer, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. This is Jim Dolly from the White Coat Investor, and you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Welcome to What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, today we have a fun question, I think. It's, should you leave your job post-financial independence. So many of us are pursuing financial independence, but what are we going to do when we get there? We have three guest panelists today, Fritz, Liz, and Jim, and I'll ask each one of you to jump in and do a quick introduction of yourselves, and then we'll dive into the conversation. Fritz, do you mind going first? Absolutely not. I appreciate being on the show, guys. Uh, This is Fritz Gilbert from the Retirement Manifesto, and uh, just retired in June, uh, FI'd about a year before that, so I appreciate being on your show. Great. Really happy to have you here. Liz, how about you? Hi, my name is Liz. I write at a site called Chief Mom Officer, and I'm the breadwinning mom of my family of five. Really excited to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Fantastic. All right, Jim, to you. Uh, My name is Jim Dolly, and I write a podcast or a blog and a podcast called The White Coat Investor. I suppose I'm financially independent starting about this year. Um, Instead of quitting my job, I've got two jobs. So I both practice medicine and I run The White Coat Investor business, which is a blog, podcast, etc. And so I'm working as hard as I ever have, I think. All right. So Fritz, I'd like to start with you. I was looking at your blog and you did a post that talks about listening to the Tim Ferriss show and you took a quote from it. You said, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. Tell me a little bit about how work and employment fit into life's purpose. Yeah, that's a good question, Doc G. You know, it's um, it's interesting as I got closer and closer to retirement, I started paying more and more attention to the purpose question. And um, what I found and, and a lot of the research I've done has supported this is having a purpose. You know, your job when you're working provides a purpose, right, by default. And I think a part that a lot of people overlook or don't think enough about as they're thinking about the RE side of FIRE is really defining the purpose that they're going to have in retirement. So absolutely, working does provide some level of purpose. The real joy of the RE side of it is you get to define your purpose and it can be whatever it is that really gets you excited, which is a much more enjoyable lifestyle than uh, having to have your boss define it for you. Yeah. So Liz, this makes me think a little bit of one of your posts where you talk about 
finding your purpose at work. Um, is that something you think everyone can do? Can everyone find purpose in their job? I don't know if everyone can, but I think most people can, uh, especially if they put some time aside to really reflect on the end result of the things that they're doing. So at least for me, I work in a very corporate world, so it can be easy to lose sight of the end result of your work when it feels like sometimes you just come in and go to meetings all day long and then go home and maybe go to some more meetings. But uh, I really do like to reflect on the end purpose and goal of the work that I do and really make sure that both me and other people on my team that I work with really understand why we're doing the things we're doing, what kind of benefit it's bringing the business, our customers, uh, other folks who benefit from the things we do every day. So I'm really passionate about making sure that people as they're working really feel like they're contributing something substantial to the world. And so, Jim, when I'm listening and thinking about purpose, a lot of times I pull in the term identity, too, because I don't think you can really have purpose unless you have identity also. I was wondering with you, Jim, do you consider yourself a physician who has an interest in personal finance, or do you think of yourself more as a personal finance guy who happens to be a physician? Well, I think when you go to medical school and residency and spend a decade in your 20s learning how to do something, it becomes a very big part of who you are. It becomes part of your identity. So I still definitely identify as a physician. But I'll be honest, when I went from working about three quarters time to half time this summer, that dropped off a lot more than I expected it to. So I don't know, there may come a time when I feel like a physician is just one of the things I did in my life rather than who I am. But for now, I still definitely identify as a physician. And you know, when I talk to groups of doctors, I feel like those are my people. Yeah, Fritz, I was wondering the same question for you. Did you identify with your job or was it something you were doing in preparation for finding greater purpose and identity? Yeah, that's um, an interesting question. I guess, you know, I did, I was in uh, my business for 33 years. I was in corporate America, similar to Liz. I was on the aluminum side and did a whole variety of, of jobs from plant management to kind of North American management, got into a global role at the end. So because my role was changing a lot through my career, unlike a physician where you're kind of a physician, I was, I was a metal guy, but I was doing a lot of different functions within that. So I never really identified that as my passion and purpose in life. It was, it was a part of who I was, but it was always just a part. It was never really a, a sole identity or a really strong identity. It was just, it's just what I did for a living. You know, Liz, I was looking at some of your branding for your website. And, and one thing you wrote is that you help working women manage their money. And again, this makes me think again about purpose and identity. Why working women? Why not just helping women manage their money? So I'd love to help all women, but I have a particular passion and focus for working women because that's what I am. So although I'm happy to help any woman, whether they be a stay-at-home mom or work part-time or what have you, with their money, I work full-time. So I don't identify as much with the folks who stay at home most of the time. And my advice may or may not be applicable to them. So, you know, over the years, I've done a lot with my career, earning more money, rising the ranks in corporate America. So for me, that's a big part of who I want to help is other people who are like me or who are like what I was 10 or 15 years ago. Do you think for you that you'll ever want to be stay at home and not be quote unquote employed? Do you see that as part of your trajectory at some point? No, 
No, I don't. And that's just part of who I am. I've always been a crazy working person since I was, I think, I can remember earning money when I was very small and I worked full-time and went to school full-time to work my way through college. I worked full-time and went to school part-time to get my MBA. So I've always been just a crazy working person who enjoys being busy. So I think that I could stay at home for a maximum a couple of weeks before um, going a little stir crazy. So speaking of crazy working people, Jim, (laughs) I wanted to get your opinion on the FIRE acronym. I know a lot of us, we identify with the first part, right? The FI part, but not necessarily the RE. In fact, there's been lots of arguments in the blogosphere about that. Um, What do you think of the acronym? Does it fit you? Does it fit anything you do? I don't know that it really fits me at all, but if you look at one of the Bibles of, you know, the financial independence, retire early movement, it's your money or your life is frequently named. And if you look at one of the chapters in there, I think it's uh, chapter seven, it talks about the purposes of work. And the first two, earning money and a sense of security seem to come before you're financially independent, but there are six more purposes listed in the book after that. You know, it's tradition, you provide a service, you're continuing to learn, it gives you some power, you socialize, it structures your time, etc. And so, I don't know, I mean, if you only eliminate two of the eight purposes of work when you become financially independent, I don't know why you'd stop working unless you hate your job. Fritz, that, that's, that goes right to you. Why would you stop working unless you hate your job? Yeah, it's interesting, our perspectives, right? Because I, I worked for 33 years and, the, and six months ago, I, I RE'd and, and I just saw a post. I, I need to find the source for it. And I apologize. I'm going to have a post coming out in a couple of weeks and I'll, and I'll reference the source. But there were some comments in the, and it was about fire and, and about the whole debate over RE and what it really means. And somebody said, I like the term recreational employment instead of retire early. And I kind of like that because if you look at my case, I'm kind of employed, you know, I'm doing my blog, I make a little bit of money on it. Um, I work on a board of directors, I get paid for that. It's, you know, a day every quarter or so, maybe a couple of conference calls, but it's, it's recreational employment. It's employment that fits in with my lifestyle and frees me up. You know, I, I, this morning I was at a spin class, right? It's the middle of the week. Tomorrow we're flying out to Seattle. We've got freedom to do things with our lifestyle that's no longer constrained by work, even though I do have some recreational employment that I'm doing by choice. So, you know, there are, as Jim said, a lot of other functions that work provides, but I don't think you have to have those provided by work. There are a lot of different ways that you can find to meet those needs, social interaction, a sense of purpose, you know, et cetera. You can find those through things other than a, a formal structured workplace. And, and I'm, a, I'm a living example of that. That's how we're living our life right now. Yeah, I especially like that because I feel like our our movement is is looking for a better term for for what fire is. Uh, there, there's like the word retirement has such a heavy connotation in our culture, and I don't think very many of us actually really talk about not doing anything else productive again. It's the the idea of having control. So I'm curious, Liz, I was maybe not in the same industry as you were, but I I was along the same path of going up the corporate ladder. And as I rose up to the corporate ladder, I lost fulfillment and I found my ladder against the wrong wall. And so I'm curious for how you discuss with some of your audience, if they find themselves in their situation, what is your advice? They've, they are approaching financial independence. They've maybe uh, work this, by this point becomes 
optional. How does that conversation play out? Is that something you talk about much? Um, I don't know that I've talked about it a great deal, but definitely if you're in a position that you don't like or at a company you don't like or in a situation that you don't like and you want to change it, you don't necessarily need to be financially independent to do so. And it really is important that you figure out what you want longer term because whether you're financially independent or not, it's important that you be happy with what you're doing all the time, especially if you're working. So if you're not finding fulfillment and purpose in your work, you definitely want to um, to look at building that potentially in a different place. Go ahead, Fritz. Yeah, just a quick one. Just while you guys were talking, I looked it up and, and just to give source to the, uh, to the recreational employment, it was on an FI ideas post from Susan. Mm. And it was one of the comments in her post that was uh, to RE or not to RE. That is the question. So that's, that's the source for the quote. You know, I got a tweet this week from Rick Ferry for FIRE. And what he says it stands for is financial independence, remain employed. (laughs) (laughs) Jim, that's a good question. Let's say you decided to leave medicine and yet continue the white coat investor. Would you consider yourself uh, retired or would you consider yourself still employed? Well, retirement is squishy, right? It's not something that can be readily defined. Everybody seems to have a different definition. So it's almost one of those things, if you think you're retired, you get to be retired, you know? I mean, I think it's many, Mr. Money Mustache's famous post about the internet retirement police. Um, But, you know, make retirement whatever you want it to be. In my case, I feel like I'm not done making my contribution to the world. And so I feel like there's a lot of service to do, both to patients and to you know, the white coat investor community, all these high income professionals that that need some help with their finances. And so I don't feel like I'm even close to being done with that. And just because I happen to become financially independent earlier than I expected, uh, it's no reason to quit with my life's work. You know, there's a reason you call it your life's work. I think it was, maybe it was Tim Ferriss that said, the goal isn't to get out of work as quickly as you can. The goal is to, to find what you want to do with your life and do that. Retirement is actually the backup plan in case you can't do that, in case you can't find work that you love, in case you, you know, become disabled or you can't do it or you lose your job or whatever. So Fritz, a lot of this makes me think about something you were writing in one of your blog posts about this whole retire early, die early phenomena. If retirement, if financial independence is supposed to give us power, uh, supposed to give us control over our lives, why is this their concern out there and maybe even some data to back it up that people who tend to retire uh, have a higher mortality, that they're at higher risk for dying? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it is an interesting um, study on what I call retirement fails. And I think it goes to what I mentioned earlier about you've got to be intentional um, looking at the softer side, you know, we're so focused on the financial side. Am I, am I FI? Am I FI? Am I FI? And I think where people get into trouble is if you kind of run that treadmill right up to the day and you say, okay, I'm going to retire now. I'm going to quit. And you haven't put that same amount of energy and, and thought into what's going to replace those elements that, that did provide value through work besides money. Um, that's where people get into trouble. And, and if you look at the people that really enjoy whatever they define retirement as, it's those people who have really spent the time to think about what am I going to be doing? What do I want to do? What do I want to run to instead of run away from? And, and what is that that, that, I'm, that I'm moving into that I'm excited about? 
And if you go about it with that approach, and if you spend time thinking about that aspect of it before you retire, I think you're going to be in a lot better shape once you make the decision to do it. And, and that's where you don't get into the trouble of, you know, earlier mortality, things like that. My experience. So Liz, this makes me think a lot about, in one of your posts, you talk about mastery, autonomy, and purpose. Uh, these are our motivations often for doing work, for accomplishing things. What do you suggest to your readers if work no longer fulfills their sense of mastery, autonomy, and purpose? I would say you need to find different work or find something else, whether it's work or that's paid or not paid, because really those are the three things that drive us all. And that could be through you know, your paid corporate job. It could be through something you do on the side. It could be through anything. But if you don't have mastery, autonomy, and purpose in what you do, then you're going to be lost. Liz, I identify with that quite a bit because that kind of was a situation I was in. I found myself not necessarily fulfilled and enriched at my employment from my former career. And I, I happened to use real estate as a way to get out and into something else. But I feel like that was the just simply the vehicle. I've gone on to do other things and start other businesses that aren't necessarily real estate specific or you know, stock investing specific. So I'm so, I'm so curious for somebody who finds themselves in a situation where they're not fulfilled with their job. How does someone go about finding that purpose? Because uh, it's not investing. I don't think unless you want to be identified with an investor, that's just a vehicle to get you to someplace else. Where do you go about, how do you go about finding that purpose? So that's a bit of a tricky question because it can vary by from person to person, right? So at work, what I do personally is look around for other opportunities inside of my particular company or field when I'm starting to feel like either I've kind of reached mastery or I'm in a situation where I've lost the sense of purpose or I don't have the autonomy that I want. So sometimes it could be as simple as changing your team or department or maybe even changing fields within your current workplace. But it could be as much as you're not in the right work at all. Like you said, you went into real estate or something totally different. Mm -hmm. That's where really I think reading stories of other people who have found different purposes. There's lots of stories of folks who have left corporate jobs to find a different kind of work or started businesses, things like that. So I would say lots of research is probably where I'd start. I'm an avid reader myself, but podcasts and such can be another great um, opportunity to learn about other ways of doing things. And you can always give something a try part-time on the side, potentially, before taking the leap to leave your job, just to make sure you're not leaving a frying pan and jumping into a fire that you're not really going to enjoy either. Because that's, uh, <laughs> that's also not a good thing. So I'd like to take this chance here to transition a little bit. We've been talking a somewhat about the burdens of work and finding purpose. Uh, but Fritz, you mentioned that there's a difference between loving work and being a workaholic. Tell me about that and how it plays into this conversation. Yeah, I think what I look at is, I had a friend, not a friend of mine, but I was in a class back when I was in my 20s, early in my career. And uh, it was a Dale Carnegie course my boss made me take because I was a newbie. And in uh, week six of this course, we showed up and, and one of the guys wasn't there. I'll call him Bob. Turns out Bob had committed suicide the night before. Hmm. 
and uh, still sticks with me, you know, to this day. And the instructor said something that day that has stuck with me ever since. And I think it answers your question or it goes to it. And he said, you know, he said, life is like a wheel. And he said, we've got all these different spokes in our wheel. We've got work, we've got family, we've got, you know, religion, we've got finance, we've got all these other elements. And your spokes have to be about the same length. And if they aren't the same length, your wheel doesn't roll very well. And he said, Bob had some spokes that were really out of whack. And he said, make sure you keep balance in your life. And to me, you can love your job, absolutely love your job and not be a workaholic, right? You can, you can be passionate about it, but you can, you can keep it in balance relative to other things in your life. When I think of a workaholic who gets into trouble, it's somebody who has a spoke that's too long and they, and they commit their whole life to work at the sake of family, relationships, you know, other things that matter, I would argue, as much or more than work. So conversely, you can love your job, right? And it can just be a balanced part of your life, but you can be really passionate about it while you're there. And then you can go off and work for charity on the weekends and be really passionate about that while you're there. So you can have passions for multiple things. It's all about trying to keep a balance as you go through life. I agree with that. What I learned about myself in medical school is there's actually nothing in my life I like to do more than 20 hours a week. You know, so 20 hours a week at a job, 20 hours a week with the kids, 20 hours a week at a different job or a passion or a hobby. There's actually nothing I like doing more than 20 hours a week. And so that's helped me a lot to find balance. I mean, the setup I have currently where I'm about half time with the white coat investor and half time practicing medicine, it's perfect for me. You know, because about the time I get bored with it, I'm onto something else. And I don't know if that's just because I'm one of those, you know, ADD types or what, but that's the way it is for me. I love that so much because of this idea of balance is such a, it's a heavy subject because how do you go about setting up balance in your life in corporate America? And I hear about physicians doing this a lot where they, they scale back and maybe that's just a profession where that's more likely to happen. But my experience in, in a more of a corporate America job, maybe Fritz or Liz, you can comment on this. That is exceptionally hard to do. It's either you're, it's a one or a zero. Yeah, and I'll jump in on that. You know, my last job, I was in an international job, so I'd have to take off to Dubai and, you know, be gone for a week. And it didn't matter what was going on that week. If there was something I had to be at in Dubai, I had to be there, right? My job had to take priority in most situations. And and I missed countless birthdays, anniversaries, you know, things like that. And it's, especially if you get into a job where you have to travel extensively, it's a real challenge. And I think that's part of why I got to the point, you know, I retired at 55. You talk about, I think Liz mentioned, you know, the, the there is real value in work. The problem is, as you get older, I think it's easier to get burned out because you've, you've had that mastery for 10 years, 15 years now, and you're no longer motivated by that mastery. And yet you're still flying off to Dubai for a week, right? So mm-hmm. I think it's really, depending on the type of job you're in, in, in any job, not just corporate America, I think, you know, doctors can have the same problem and any other profession can have the same problem. Um, if you're called away for work and it, and it imposes itself on those other areas of your life that are important, it can be a really difficult situation. Yeah, Liz, I'm interested in your opinion. How will becoming financially independent change your work-life balance? Do you think you'll approach work any differently? No, I don't think I will. Although, there is something actually from, I think it was also Your Money or Your Life that always stuck with me. And it was the story of a guy who, as he was approaching financial independence, would go into work and he was excited about working because now he could finally just say whatever he wanted without caring about the uh, consequences. 
So he didn't need to worry about who was political with who and whatever. He could just do what he felt was right. So I find some value in that, but I don't think that I'm going to leave work when I hit financial independence. I'm a little too risk averse for that. And I also, at least currently, it's very much enjoy what I do. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenues, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. That's the word I used to use when I was in corporate America was risk averse. And that was, I found out was code for me being afraid to take action. Is that something that you associate with or are you actually risk averse and you enjoy the employment? I mean, once you hit financial independence, you don't actually do it for, for the, the money anymore. So would that influence your behavior at work at all? Well, let's just say I've been through two market downturns and the near death of my husband six years ago. So I have some reasons to be risk averse and prefer to have kind of, uh, you know, a larger buffer than some others would be comfortable with. I'll go back and want to pull on this thread if you allow me. For me, the whole point of investing is to replace my income that I'm having to exchange my time for money anymore. So I don't have to work anymore to have that protection and have that security, I'll say. It, it, are, we, are we saying the same thing when, when we're talking about that or when, when you're approaching work and it, it seems like even after financial independence, you're still thinking about the, the money and it seems like to me that's almost a conflict of thought. Am I projecting something there or, or are you still, do you work continuously in order to continue to earn income? Well, I think the point I think she's trying to make is that financial independence like retirement is a squishy term. Yeah. You know, there, there is no matter how robust you think your financial independence plan is, something can happen to it. You know, I mean, even if you're, you're at a 2.5% withdrawal rate, right. you know, 
the Great Depression happens, guess what? You're going back to work, you know? And so I think her point is that, that a job, uh, paid employment, is an extremely, you know, valuable hedge on some terrible economic consequences. And so I think there's some benefit there, even for those of us that in nearly any, you know, reasonable scenario, we're going to have plenty of money for the rest of our lives. Because there are a few scenarios out there that aren't that reasonable. And if you talk to uh, somebody like Bill Bernstein, he thinks those scenarios have about a 20% likelihood of happening to us at some point during our investing careers. And that that's the real risk we should be concerned about. So first, Jim is right. That's exactly what I'm thinking about, right? There's all sorts of black swan events that everyone thinks aren't going to happen to them. But when you've had some happen to you, you have a kind of a different perspective. And if I actually didn't like what I was doing, I would probably have a totally different answer to that question. Right. So if I hated my job and was counting down the days till I'm FI and then I could finally get out of there, that's a whole other perspective than I enjoy my work. I want to be financially independent. I want to not have to count on it, but I don't, I'm not running away from something at this point in my life. So that for me, that's how I think of financial independence. Yeah. I'd make a statement too that, um, we talk a lot about black swan events. I like to call white swan events, events that are not so rare, but yet still could be devastating financially. So um, a health scare, getting divorced, uh, those are white swan events. They're not nearly as rare as black swan events, and they can still definitely affect our lives. Uh, Fritz, you were, you were going to comment? Yeah, I was just, you know, we were joking about Susie Orman earlier and her infamous, you know, you need $10 million to retire statement. But, you know, I think instead of just throwing that out with the wash, you know, she's not a stupid woman. She's been around. She's seen a lot of people. And to Jim's point, you know, I think there's value in looking at what could potentially a worst case scenario be. And each one of us have to gauge our risk tolerance for ourselves. And if you're going to go out at a 4% withdrawal rate and you've just barely got your needs covered and there's not a whole lot of cushion there to cover the wants, you know, you're going out don't do it without your eyes open that, hey, if something doesn't work out like you plan, you know, there, there's some, now, okay, you just go back to work. Well, maybe you do, but maybe you don't, you know, maybe by then you're 60 and you're not really employable anymore, right? So, I think this whole aspect of risk management and, and personal comfort with risk is a really important topic for the FIRE community. And, and as you're younger, you probably don't tend to view risk, you know, Liz, unfortunately, has seen some horrible situations up front with her husband. And Liz, I'm glad you made it through that. But, you know, a lot of people might have that in their future, but they underweight the potential of that. Now, at the same time, you can go too far and you can keep working until you're 70 and have $20 million and you're still working and sacrificing your other life. There's a balance to everything, just like this wheel concept. There's, there's a wheel balance approach to risk, but don't underestimate, you know, the potential of things could go wrong. Yeah, Jim, I'd like to throw it over to you. I, I noticed you wrote a post back in 2011 called 14 Reasons You Shouldn't Retire Early. I guess that speaks a lot to what Fritz is talking about is how do we figure out uh, the balance of risk mitigation versus spending time doing something we don't want to do because we're afraid? You know, I, I probably should have never written that post. I think that post <laughs> is responsible for the origin of the Physician on Fire blog. <laughs> but, um, 
you know, it, but it's true. There's a lot of benefit to working, you know, it really helps. Not only does it give your investments more time to compound, your social security benefit gets bigger, your retirement period is shorter, so you don't need as much money. But financially, there's a lot of benefits to, to working for a long time. And so I think there is something to be said there for that, to finding your job and creating your life in the way you want your life. For example, I talk to these people that want to retire, you know, and they're like, and I ask them, well, why do you want to retire? Well, I want to travel and I want to spend time with my kids. And I hear these things and I'm like, well, well, I'm already doing that. You know, I mean, in October, I went on four trips. This month, I spent a week in Florida with my kids. Next month, I'm going to spend a week in Mexico. I'm already traveling as much as I want. I don't want to travel anymore. And if that's still compatible with not only one job, but two, I see little reason to stop working so I can travel more. You know what I'm saying? But that life wasn't just dropped in my lap. You know, I made decisions along my way to create that life. I got offered the opportunity to, you know, be the medical director of my emergency department. I was offered the opportunity to be the chief of the medical staff of the hospital. I said no to those things because they weren't compatible with the life I was trying to create for myself. And so I think that's part of it as you go along. And it's definitely easier in some jobs than other. It's going to be easier for an anesthesiologist or an emergency physician or a radiologist than it is a general surgeon or an internal medicine doc that does outpatient clinic, you know, or a corporate America or you're the CFO. Well, they're not going to let you work 20 hours a week as a CFO, you know, it's just not going to happen. And so, you know, you got to take that into consideration as you choose your career, what you really want out of your life. Or if you're already in a career, how to influence or change your your design of your lifestyle. So a, a lot of what you were talking about, Jim, I would just say is lifestyle design. So I have a, a, a standing theory and I've asked this a few times and I, I always, I'm curious the answer to this. So I'd like for each of you to answer this. Um, Fritz, you can go first. Is do you pick your job first and then make your life fit around it? Or do you pick your the life that you want and then pick work that fits? What would you, wow. because I feel like the default suggestion in corporate America or in, in America, the Western culture is and probably Japan too, is go to work and then make your life fit around it. Yeah. And in, in my case, that was certainly the case you know, I, I was just looking for a job out of, out of university. Right. And I, I interviewed and I got offered a job and it worked out pretty well and I got yep. promoted and started making more money and it just kind of happened. Right. So in that case, I think, you know, when you're 22 or let's say you go to, you know, med school and everything else, you know, 30, let's say everybody's done with most education by the time they're, you know, late twenties, early thirties. Do you really know the broader perspective of how, you, you know, you're probably not married yet. You might not have kids. So much changes that I think it's hard to know what you want your life to be. And therefore I'm going to do this because this is going to be a perfect fit with my life. And a lot of people end up getting trapped, you know, the golden handcuffs where they get into a job, they're making good money and they kind of have to fit everything else around it. One thing I was going to mention earlier, and I think it fits here, you know, if you're in one of those situations where you're kind of stuck and, you know, Jim was fortunate, he was able to, you know, make it work and he can travel all he wants. That's obviously everybody's goal. But like you said, if you're the CFO, it's not an option. So what do you do? And I think the beauty of, of our society today is you've got the freedom to experiment with a couple of side hustles on the side, right? Things that interest you, that bring you that purpose, that bring you that excitement about wanting to master something. Well, go out and try it. Start a blog, start a podcast, do something, open an eBay store. I don't care. You know, do something that could potentially develop into something that gives you that ability to, hey, you know what? I'm going to quit my CFO job now because my podcast has gone huge and I'm making enough money to live on. There's nothing wrong with doing it that way either. 
you know, so there's a lot of different ways to, to skin the cat. Same question to you, Liz. So kind of like Fritz, I think that when you're right out of college, you don't really know what you're going to do. Maybe if you're a doctor, you do. Sorry. But if you're not a doctor, you don't necessarily know where you're going to end up. I was an accounting major in undergrad and I ended up in IT by accident, which ended up being one of the best things that ever could have happened to me. But over the years, right, I've had opportunities like Jim was talking about to better design my lifestyle by joining a different company or different teams when I end up in a situation that I don't like for one reason or another, whether it's just the team's not working out right or the the particular work that I'm doing isn't fulfilling anymore or the demands of that particular job aren't in alignment with what I want for my lifestyle. So I just think it's a constant process of tweaking your work and your life to, and especially as your life changes in ways you're not going to be able to anticipate when you're in your early twenties to try to find that balance over time. And like Fritz mentioned, not get stuck in the golden handcuffs where you get too stuck and you can't change. I find it ironic that you guys think doctors are somehow immune to this. It's actually a bigger <laughs> problem for doctors, right? Yeah. Early in your 20s, you basically choose this career and you enter this pipeline that's 10 or 15 years long. And, you know, this 21-year-old kid doesn't really know how they're going to feel about stuff at 35 when they come out the other end of the pipeline. And there's a fair number of doctors that come out and go, this isn't me. I don't like this. But now you're stuck, right? You got $400,000 in student loans. You don't even want to do this specialty. If you consider another specialty, the barrier to change is three to five years of 80 hours a week work. You know, I mean, you are stuck. Yeah, good point. That's right. true. And it's not just physical or financial barrier to change. It's an emotional barrier to change because most of us as physicians identify so strongly with that profession uh, that it's a huge, huge emotional barrier to consider changing even within medicine, much less leaving medicine and doing something else. Fritz, I'd like to transition to another thought process here with you. I want to talk a little bit about the one more year syndrome. And the reason I'm, I'm directing this to you and not to Jim is because I went to the White Coat Investor and searched one more year syndrome uh, to see what he thought about it. And every post that came up was a guest post from Physician on Fire. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm going to send it to you instead. Instead, tell me how you didn't become a victim of the one more year syndrome. I actually did. I, I wrote a one more year syndrome post and, and I was always debating, do I leave at 54 or do I leave at 55? And I knew the numbers would say I could leave at 54. And I guess I had a little bit of, you know, the phenomenon that Liz talked about. You know, I was a little bit apprehensive. Yeah, everything looked okay. I was slightly below a 4% withdrawal rate. And, and I really, I, I tell you what led me to change two things. One was I had an uncle who retired early and I was talking to him at a wedding and he said, Fritz, let me just tell you something. He said, if you're, if you're on the fence, put in one more year. He said, because you're at your peak earning years right now. And if you leave, you know, you'll have to work five years more doing something consulting or whatever to make the amount of money you could make one more year at the peak of your earnings. So, you know, if you're a little bit hesitant, put in the extra year. That was the first piece of advice. Second piece of advice was a friend of mine was getting ready to retire and he was kind of on the fence. I told him what my uncle said. He decided to work one more year. This was maybe he's about three years ahead of me. He worked the extra year. He retired. He was a year into retirement. He said, Fritz, he said, that was the best piece of advice you ever gave me. He said, I love it. Okay. So those, both those people, I said, okay, I'm going to put in one more year. I'm now six months into retirement. 
And I can say working that one more year was probably the best thing I ever did. You know, we've got an extra cushion. Uh, our, our withdrawal right now is down below three and a half percent. We've got, you know, one less year to fund, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, you look at some of this volatility that we've had in the market lately, doesn't bother me in the least, right? Because I know that my three and a half percent withdrawal rate is not only covering needs, but some pretty comfortable wants. You know, we're traveling next year for six months with the RV, you know, no problem. We can do that. Well, guess what? If we get into a downturn, I've got that one more year of cushion in there. We can easily back off on the RV and I'll still be below a 4% withdrawal rate. So there's, there's some real value to one more year. I think where people have to be careful is to do one more year and then one more year and then one more year and then one more year because they get this fear of they, they, they're just not willing to make the jump, right? So there's a balance, but one more year is not a bad thing if you're not quite sure. Yeah, Liz, I'm wondering with you, uh, because it seems like your identity is very tied up in work, will you recognize the one more year syndrome if it comes at you? Do you think you'll recognize ever a point where you're like, okay, now it's time to leave? I would hope so. I'm a little bit younger than Fritz by, you know, one or two years or so. So for me, it's a little bit farther away and a little bit squishier when that would point would come. And there's a lot that can change, obviously, over the next 5, 10, 20 years. So I hope that I will because I've done a lot of reading about it, especially on, uh, you know, Fritz's site and I guess from Physician on Fire too. So it's hard to know until you get there is, would be my answer to the question. So, Jim, Fritz was making the point that if you're not sure, you might as well work one more year. Do you agree with that? Is the one more year syndrome an issue? If you're unsure, should you just hang in there, grind it out? Or is there a point where you just have to take the plunge and see what happens? I think it really comes down to what you want to do with your life. You know, I don't think, I mean, there are times people are just hate their job and they want out and they're not quite sure they have enough or maybe one more year does make sense. But I think most of the time, the goal is to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. And if that does not involve this work, I think you ought to try to get out of that work as soon as possible. That might mean going to, to some more paid work if you're not sure you have enough yet, or it might mean just retiring and spending a little bit less money. But I think the focus should be on your time. I mean, that's the resource that's really limited here is our lives and our life energy. You know, it's not money. If you need more money, there are ways to make more money. It usually does involve trading some of your time for it, but it doesn't mean you got to stay in a job you don't like. Fritz, you've now been out of work for a while. You've been retired. Is there anything about work you're missing? Anything that you didn't realize uh, you you would miss once it was gone? You know, it's, it's, it almost is hard to say this, but <laughs> really not. I mean, I have this transition to retirement. I've spent so much time thinking about it, you know, and in the last year, year and a half of my blog before I retired, I was probably writing 80 to 90% of my posts on the softer side of retirement planning. So I'd really spent a lot of time thinking about this and I absolutely love it. I mean, sure, the people are nice, but you know what? I still keep in touch with a few of the people. You know, the people that I really had friendships with, the guy, I'm, I'm in a friend's cabin right now. That guy used to work for me, right? He bought a cabin up here. He rents it out. It's a rental income. He's got good hustle, you know, and, uh, and we stay close. He comes up here. We get together. We have lunch. You know, the people that you want to keep in touch with, the relationship side of business, I think is what most people think they're going to miss the most. There are a lot of ways to have relationships without having to be dependent on the work. And, and we've basically replaced the, a lot of that relationship value with friendships that we've made in our retirement community. So I think we've done a pretty intentional job of looking for those aspects that work provides and finding ways to, to get that 
same nurturing in a, in our retirement lifestyle. And I really can honestly say today there's, there's, I struggle to think of something that I miss from work. I absolutely love being retired. It's a wonderful lifestyle to have that kind of freedom. You know, we've worked 33 years to get here. We're finally here and it's better than I thought it was going to be. And I thought it was going to be pretty darn good. So no, retirement's great for in our situation. We're great. I'll throw that question back at you another way, Fritz. If you could have accomplished that in five or 10 years instead of 33 years, do you think you would have felt the same? And I know it's a subjective question. You, it's hard to know exactly, but a lot of people are seriously considering facing that very decision within five or 10 years following a lot of the tenets of financial independence. They can pull that off. Do you think you would have felt the same way? Yeah, that, that's a good question. I've thought about that a lot. Obviously, I'm an older fire advocate, right? I'm 55. So I'm right on the borderline of, oh, you're not really fire. You just retired a little bit early, right? But I still consider myself fire. So what the heck? Uh, the retirement police can come after me. But, um, you know, I, I've thought about if I could have retired at 45 instead of 55, would I have wanted to do that? And And I really, looking back, other than, you know, you get stuck having to do the Dubai trip and you miss a birthday or whatever. Kind of like Jim, you know, when, when, when I was working, we were very intentional. We traveled every year. I took all my vacation time. I had a ton of frequent flyer miles. My daughter's been all over the world. You know, we were really intentional on trying to make sure we enjoyed life as we lived it. And I think that's a word of caution I would have for people that are so obsessed on getting to the finish line or the starting line, as I call it, that they don't enjoy the journey. Hey, you might end up with cancer and be dead in a year, right? Enjoy the journey as you go. And and now looking at it and saying, okay, do I regret not retiring 10 years earlier? I really don't because I, I enjoyed the journey as I went. And now we're, we're so secure in retirement that I think I'm enjoying the retirement more than I would have if I would have retired 10 years earlier because we've got that much more cushion. So there's no, there's no stress now that we're in retirement. So in my situation, no, I'm, I'm totally content, but I can appreciate people that are like, I'm going to get out at 35. Hey, more power to them. Um, but in our case, I think we enjoyed the journey. So I have no regrets. Yeah. Liz, I think you're a great example of someone who is enjoying the journey. Uh, and I think when you talk about work, you do it with a joy and passion. Once you reach financial independence, would you do the same job for no money? If, if your job disappeared and you could volunteer to do it, would you keep doing it? That's an interesting question. I probably would, but not for as many hours as I do right now. Yes, because I really enjoy the kind of difference that it makes. And it's, at least for me, it's really the, that purpose that keeps me going. So I think if I ever lost that kind of purpose, then I don't know that I would stay working where, you know, where I do. But um, I probably would, but maybe not, you know, 50 hours a week of time. So Jim, let's say that I, as the retirement police, actually had, had some power and I bequeathed it onto the retirement community that you could no longer make any money doing work what would your life look like? You could still do all the same things. You could still be a doctor. You could still run your personal finance blog. Um, you could still run your, the white coat investor empire, but you wouldn't be able to make any money at it. Would you be doing what you're doing today? Well, I think my readers would really appreciate that because there'd be fewer banner ads on my site. <laughs> so. Uh, so that's not all bad. To be honest though, I've learned that money does motivate me. It motivates me to make money, to get paid, etc. And so at times when I'm not feeling super, you know, excited about my mission, 
knowing that I'm getting paid to do it gives me a little bit extra motivation. And so would I practice medicine not getting paid at all, even though I don't actually need that money? I don't know. That's a good question. You know, I've looked into some of these homeless clinics kind of things where you basically volunteer your time and and that kind of practice isn't super appealing to me compared to the practice I'm in now. But as little as I need that money, I don't know that I would do it without the money. And that's just because sometimes I do have to, you know, not do something I want to do uh, because of that. You know, it's usually something that comes up after the clinical schedule's made. You know, for example, friends are going out to dinner. Oh, I got an evening shift, you know. And so it, it's nice to know that at least I'm being paid for going. The other thing I've noticed, and particularly as I go around the country doing speaking gigs, if I speak for 500 bucks, people don't value it very much. Whereas if I charge them 5,000 bucks, boy, they're lined up out the hall. They think it's great. I get a lot more comments that it's awesome. If you don't charge people for your work, they don't seem to appreciate it that much. And so I think there's some benefits to continuing to make money. Plus, it allows me to give more away. It allows me to spend more money on frivolous stuff that maybe I don't need. Uh, it allows me to reduce the risk of those black swans maybe a little bit more. Fritz, tell me about the idea of working for money as a retired person. Do you still find money a motivator? If someone comes up to you and asks you to consult with them and throw, throws a big number out there, uh, does that still make you think about doing it? Um, yeah, that's, I've been thinking about this as Jim was talking, you know, it's interesting. I, I think the story I'll tell is the story of how I joined this board of directors, right? I, I wrote the 10 commandments of retirement and commandment number four was to make no obligations for 12 months after I retired. And that was based on a lot of my friends who said, your phone is going to ring off the hook. You know, I was kind of a, a subject matter expert in the, in this metals field where I was and a lot of consulting opportunities, a lot of companies that know me, you know, I've been all over the world, et cetera. So, and sure enough, my phone rang off the hook and I just said, no, 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 no. Well, the phone rang off the hook from this, this guy that I knew. And he, I thought he was just calling to congratulate me on retirement. Right. And we get talking. He said, well, Fritz, he said, I actually did have a, a reason for calling. And he ended up offering me the, the board of director spot. It's, it's interesting because I knew it would be paid. I had no idea how much, and I really didn't care. You know, money wasn't the motivating factor. So I got off the phone. I said, let me, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. So I talked to my wife and I said, you know what? I said, this is, this is something that I'm intrigued in because it let me use my expertise in a very non-invasive way. We still had our freedom that we had earned, but it allowed me to look at a very senior level perspective over this company and give guidance based on my 30 plus years of experience and it would be kind of fun. You know, how cool is that to be on a board of directors of a legitimate international business? I'm going to do it. Had no idea what the pay was. I didn't care. I would have done it for free. I hope they don't listen to this because they pay pretty well. But it was not motivated by money at all. So I think the, the, the joy about being truly FI is the work you choose to do is not motivated by money. Money is like number 10 on the list of your criteria. And if it's there, like Jim says, hey, why not? You know, money's good. I'll take it. But it's no longer the determining factor, you know, on at least with a board example. It wasn't the deciding factor of why I took the position. Okay, I'd like to take this conversation full circle and bring us back to the original question that we asked, which is, should you leave your job post-financial independence and be thinking about this in the in the context of the audience who's listening to this. I would like for each of you, starting with Liz, to chime in on what your takeaway advice would be for our audience 
when they're thinking about should they leave their job post financial independence? Liz, what are your thoughts? So my first thought is that you, if you don't enjoy your job, you should leave it before you achieve financial independence and figure out what on earth you want to be doing and go do that. In summary, find your mission and fulfill it. I like that. Exactly. I like that. Exactly. Find your mission and fulfill it. And you can do that whether you're financially independent or not. Uh, Jim? I think if you would quit your job the second you hit financial independence, you're in the wrong job. And I would really advocate for trying to figure out what you need to change about your career so that it's not something you want to punch out of just as soon as you have enough money. Now, granted, some people are working as a gastroenterologist and they want to be a tour guide, you know, and the pay differential is so dramatic that it just makes sense for them to do another year or two in the high paying job they don't like so they can do the other one the rest of their life. But I think uh, in most scenarios, there are ways to create your ideal life um, prior to becoming financially independent. Yeah, like becoming that scuba instructor in Costa Rica that, that has a fixed income that you can only make something like $6 an hour. You're going to have a hard time getting there unless you make some planning up ahead of time. But if it's your mission, it's your mission. Go ahead. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because I have a residency classmate. He's an emergency physician. His wife is an emergency physician. They punched out and went and they were scuba instructors on Roatan for a year. You know, and he's, I always tell him he has the most interesting career of anybody I know because he's done all kinds of wacky things like this. You know, he was almost ended up in Libya with Doctors Without Borders, but he's just not afraid to do, you know, these dramatic changes in his career from time to time. And I'd encourage people if they're not happy in what they're doing to really consider making dramatic changes like that and, uh, and figuring out what you want to do. And interestingly enough, they're now both back in kind of standard emergency medicine kind of jobs. But they had that year where literally they went out on the boat every day and went diving and maybe uh, took care of a few friends in the bar in the evening. Yeah, that points out this idea of these mini retirements. So far, we've been talking about retirement almost as a binary decision, but that doesn't necessarily have to live into that. Uh, I think Paula Pant talks about that, that um, short-term retirement and then you go back to work later on. That's an interesting concept that we haven't really touched on. Thanks for bringing that up. Fritz, how about you? What are you thinking here? I think what I would encourage people to do is really focus on the I, NFI. You know, it's the financial independence. You know, you've gotten to a point now where you have independence. So it's your decision. You don't have to work. Make sure you're there. You know, the one more year thing we talked about earlier, make sure you're there. But if you're truly, truly there, go where your heart leads you. If you, if you love your job and you and you know, fine, keep working. You don't have to RE, but if you want to try something different, you've got the independence to do it. So I would say, you know, take a couple weeks. If you're still working, take, take a vacation and don't check your emails. Don't, you know, don't answer your phone. Say, Hey, I'm going to disappear for a while and really think about what do you want your life to be? Because now you're independent enough that you can design your ideal life and shame on us. If we don't take advantage of that after working so hard to achieve FI. So it's an individual decision. Everybody's got to make. We decided to legitimately retire. Okay. Board job aside one day a quarter, no big deal. And, and we love it. So for us, it was great to RE. Um, for others, 
maybe like Liz, you know what? I love my job. I'm going to keep working. Either one's fine. You're independent. You can make your own decision. So I, what I'm hearing from you is that I should just go ahead and just throw away everything I'm doing, retire and get in that RV like I've been talking about doing and just take off, right? Is, is, is that the message? If, if that's what you want to do, that's, that's what we're, I'll see you out there on the road because we're going to, we spend a lot of time in the RV and it's a great way to live. So if it, if it calls to you, listen to that. Listen to that inner voice, right? Let's bring this all around. And in closing, I want to give each of you a chance to promote uh, each of your channels. And I want to ask you, what is up next in your lives? Something that you're working on that is interesting that you might want to announce or share with the, with the audience. Let's start with Liz. Where, where can we find you and anything brewing new in your life? So I write at uh, chiefmomofficer.org. So it's a site all about money, work, and financial freedom. And what do I have coming up? Whatever I'm interested in writing about, but it will be on one of those three things. So more articles to come on those three things. Yes. I love it. Okay, fantastic. Thanks for coming out today. Fritz, how about you? Yeah, thanks. Uh, first of all, for being a guest on your show. It's been a lot of fun. I like the panel approach and uh, I've met Jim and Liz at FinCon, so it's neat to uh, be on here with them. I write at the Retirement Manifesto and my byline is helping people achieve a great retirement. And that's really what I'm all about. You know, it's about being intentional to design the retirement that you want to retire to. Two things, I guess, that are coming up. Short term, I'm writing a post right now that'll come out probably mid-December, why we chose to fat fire. And I talk about fat fire versus lean fire and the trade-offs, you know, and, and in our case, we, we did go the fat fire route and we're, we're pretty happy with the decision. So that's short term. Longer term, along those lines, though, in 2019, we're planning the Great American Road Trip and we're going to drive from Georgia out to Seattle to see my daughter and our soon-to-be granddaughter. She's actually uh, in pre-labor today. So by the time this airs, my granddaughter will hopefully be on this earth and uh, we'll be out there tomorrow to visit her, but we're going to be driving across country for a couple months next year and I'll be uh, doing some stuff from the road. So I'll look forward to that in mid, mid 19. Wonderful thoughts and prayers for your family on that and uh, you. All, all the best. Fingers crossed. Jim, how about you? Well, I run the White Coat Investor. The whole purpose of this site is to promote financial literacy among high-income professionals like physicians, dentists, attorneys, etc. And so what I've tried to do over the years is to, in every medium, whatever medium you prefer, I've tried to hand you this information in that medium. So there's a blog, there's a monthly email newsletter, there's a podcast, there's a forum, there's a Facebook group, there's a subreddit, you know, there's social media feeds, there's a video cast, you know, there's a book, there's a live conference. So I've mostly tried to package up the same information into a bunch of different formats. And so I don't know that I've come up with a new format to do in the next little bit, but I've got a couple of books in the works and hopefully we'll see some more online courses. We had a lot of success with my first one this year, which is called Fire Your Financial Advisor. But perhaps the biggest thing we've got coming up is WCICon uh, 20, which will be in March 2020. We're planning on doing it in Las Vegas. And by next summer, we'll be uh, you know, uh, trying, to, trying to let people sign up for that. But hopefully, we get the details in place before then. Okay, so that interview was, I think, one of the more engaging interviews that we've had so far, Doc. And I think the reason that is, is because it is at the heart of what our movement is all about and this concept of retirement. And the, there are so many implications to that word that I think you see people weighing in on. And I really liked the points of view, which were all similar, but slightly different where in the, I think the thing I've took away from the most was the weighing of 
making sure that your current financial situation is taken care of while also trying to find employment, a way to earn income that fulfills your mission? You know, it's funny because we had three different viewpoints. Um, You had Fritz who retired very happy with it and was ready. Uh, You have Chief Mom Officer Liz who sounds like she's not going to retire anytime soon. And then you have Jim who I think toggles his different environments, whether that be personal finance, blogging, the white coat investor versus being a physician. But he's more of a gray area, I feel. But funny enough, they all seem to say the same thing. Mostly it's about power. Your employment doesn't necessarily have to be the source of your power, but it can be the source of your purpose and identity, but doesn't have to be. So they all were looking for purpose, identity, power, control over their lives. Um, but for some of them, that, that meant staying employed, maybe staying employed for other, forever. And for others, that meant, you know, finishing work and moving on to controlling their time in other ways. The point being is that you don't just stop. You don't just declare a single day retirement day, and then your world ends. You still continue to do forms of work. Uh, You still continue to strive to accomplish things. Uh, Whether you do them for money or not really depends, but you have much more control over whether you require money for those activities or not. Maybe that's the biggest difference. That is the key, I think, is control. It's what Fritz was talking about, the word independence. It's funny. A lot of people, including myself, would say that we have reached a certain stage of financial independence, but I am not yet at the stage where I make decisions completely independent of finances. So by that definition of the word, I am not financially independent or independent, but I'm okay with that because I'm doing what I like and I, I, and I have a lot of control over my time. That's for me, that was number one, the motivation behind my foray into this world and re- creating assets that make money while I sleep is, was behind that I never wanted to ask permission to spend t- more time with my children or family ever again. That is my why, so to speak. So for those listening, what is your why? And, and it, I suspect it's going to, f- when you ask the why five or seven times deep, you know, why do you want this? You want more money? Well, why do you want more money? It's because you want to control your time. Well, why do you want to control your time? Because you can spend money with your, if you ask that question, five or seven wise deep, it will probably come back to fulfilling a purpose or spending more time with the people that you love. I think that ends up being the common uh, mission that we all boil down to sooner or later. And when you can control your finances to the point where you don't have to ask a boss permission anymore. You may still have a boss. That's fine. But you have at any point, you have that concept of screw you money where you can just say, you know what? I, if things aren't going the way you want, you can just say, I can walk away. And I maintain that that makes you in many cases a better employee because then you're talking from a position of service to the organization that you're making money with for, and that makes you a better employee instead of being a obsequious kind of person that just is so afraid to, and is acting out of fear. That That's, that's what I want to avoid is ever having to act out of fear, act out of control instead. 
Yeah, I think it's a good point. You know, Jim Collins talks about FU money. I like to look at it in terms of trigger events. So I think you need enough money so that when you hit certain triggering events, events that make work not enjoyable anymore, that you can extract yourself from it. And that's different for every person. So a triggering event for one person might be having to move to a different state, or maybe it's having to travel more for work, or maybe it's that now work requires them to come in on the weekends. Um, so FU money, trigger events, it's all still about control and being able to, you know, direct which way the ship maneuvers. Uh, but it also brings up an interesting question of whether our language doesn't really accommodate this phenomenon that we talk about so much. Uh, the problem with the FIRE acronym is it's so darn catchy. Um, yeah. Basically, I don't think we're ever going to drop that acronym, but most people really think the RE part about it is not accurate uh, because most of us are not truly retiring. We continue to do work of some kind, whether we get money for it or not. It's just more passionate, purposeful work. Even Fritz is still probably getting somewhat of a wage by sitting on that board he was talking about. Mm -hmm. So first blog. Yeah. yeah, maybe the, the answer to all this is that it's the language. It's not whether you retire, it's not whether you leave your job. It's that our language doesn't accommodate what most of us in this community are struggling through right now. It seems like we need a better, clever, either acronym or word or concept that we have yet to define. Maybe we can have somebody from the audience or, you know, have the entire audience jump in either on our Facebook group or through a voicemail we set up where playing with this idea of what term should we be using instead of retire early because it has, or is there a better term? Are we asking the right question? Is that term getting in our way from having conversations? Because this debate on what that means goes back and forth. And I would like to almost move on from the conversation and say, well, let's talk about the real issue, which is living the life that you want. That's what we're really talking about, right? Yeah, that might be what's up next. All right. Well, this has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Fritz from the Retirement Manifesto, Liz from Chief Mom Officer, and Jim Dolly from the White Coat Investor. That's a wrap. actually have a, a blooper reel at the end, just for fun. So anything you say here can be recorded. And used. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, we should, yeah, pre- we should put that in on the front on. end. That's right. How's yeah, retirement treating you? I uh, love it. Absolutely love it. It's better than I imagined. And I, and I imagined a lot and it's even better than that. So I've got no complaints, but I just want to cut her off. I just want to, yeah. you, you can feel free it. to cut me off. Right? <laughs> just jump right in and like, no, I got the rules. <laughs> you nailed it, but we had a little bit of uh, background noise from Jim when he was adjusting his mic. No, no problems. Let's just try that one more time. Jim, Jim. <laughs> Man. Lag and it's a what's up next podcast. So if you don't mind trying oh, that, sorry, what's next up? Sorry. that's fine. We're we're new. No one's heard of us. Does that. Yeah, we should just call it what's up. I mean, uh, yeah. beat Fritz. I'm humil. I'm humiliated. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I got a blog post coming from my 14 year old tomorrow morning. So oh, there you go. Maybe I should right. have my 15 year old react to it or something. Yeah, that's right. Get that IRA funded. There you go. Mm-hmm. Jim's making Fun. me wish I had staff members to delegate my work to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to go l- listen to some of the other ones. I like the yeah. format. 
feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.